Hey, hey, hey. Hey, creepies. How goes it? It goes. It does. It We're does here. Go. Yes. We got wine. Yep. We got crime. Oh, yep. We do. I love how I like was like, oh, it rhymes, but like that's in our literal name. <laughs> like I was shocked. <laughs> She's a quick one. Oh, yeah. Always, always sharp up here in my, in my brain. <laughs> um, I really don't have anything that exciting this week to share. Um, I watched Final Destination 2 with the kids, um, but we've all seen that, been there, done that. We all hate the log truck. Classic. Um, I started watching Don't Fuck With Cats. Um, I gotta finish it. I gotta start that one. That I know we talked about it, I think we talked about it at the end of last week, and we were like, oh, we want to watch that. So I need to, I need to catch up to you. Yeah, I don't know if we said it last time or not, but I did finish the new Nev Campbell show, Lincoln oh, you Lawyer, did? which was really good. Uh, I'll be here for season two. Okay, nice. Just had a nice dinner with the family, and Crystal. Delicious. Yes, yeah. the family. So we had me some as well. <laughs> turkey casserole thing my husband put together. Some bacon bourbon salad that I put together. It was all so good. They always feed me so well when I come here. <laughs> I told them when I'm at my house, I do like cereal and like toast and like stuff that you don't have to cook because I'm horrible. Um, yeah, so that's what I got going on. Nice, nice. I saw the new Orphan movie. Um, it was really, really good. I would recommend it. I was going to watch the original because it had been years since I saw the first one. But I didn't have time. Um, but you really don't even need to, like, see the first one because it, like, goes... This takes place before the first movie, if that makes okay. sense. You know how they do that sometimes? But it was super good. Uh, I would recommend. I liked it. Um, and then on a kind of different note, I also started Love Island. And I just know that I'm I'm already loving it. <laughs> I'm into all those stupid trash reality dating shows. I love them. <laughs> so it's right up my alley. <laughs> Uh, my daughter got to meet Grace Vanderdeen. Oh, yes. So cool. I don't know if we talked about that. We didn't. Um, so I got pictures of her and Chrissy Crumble. Yes. So um, that's kind of exciting. Um, she got to meet John Carpenter. Nice. He told her. He said, hi. She said, hi. He said, what's your name? And she said, Charlotte. He said, how old are you? She's like 13. And then she had a little, like, you know, as... 14-year-olds do, or 13-year-olds do. She had, like, a little bit of a short shirt, lower pant, oh, yeah, a little cropped. midriff. Yeah, the he, style he, he told her she had a cute belly button. She got kind of weirded out by that. Yeah, that's kind of, that is kind of weird. But <laughs> that kind of rubs me the wrong it's way. kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> of course he said that. Yeah, that's kind of odd, but. Um, so that was exciting. She got to meet Elisa Silverstone. I'm totally jealous. I was, oh, my gosh. She would have been the coolest one for me personally to meet out of yeah, all this. She went with her dad. Um, so I did not go on that trip. Um, but she was sending me pictures and stuff along the way. Um, but it sounded like it was it was pretty fun. There's a Stranger Things called Stranger Con. I think it's in Canada that's coming. Oh, okay. And like, everybody's going to be there. Be there. <gasps> Steve and Harrington will be there? Probably. But Damn. it's, well, in Canada. Yeah. And for reasons we all know, I can't get into Canada right now. <laughs> Let the judgment rain on. Yeah. <laughs> Let the judgment begin. 
Man, that'd be cool. It's kind of weird they're doing it in But that one's, like, super expensive. I bet. I mean, if they're all going to be there, I can only imagine how expensive that would be. She said, my daughter also told me that John Carpenter, I think just to autograph, was, like, 100 bucks, And then, like, for a picture, it was, like, another, like, 100 bucks or something like that. Are you serious? Yeah. Dang. And then... Um, but she said there was a guy that was in line, like a few people before them. Yeah. He had $8,500 purchase. Shut the hell up. That's how much merchandise he had for him to sign. I'm like, they should have made an appointment and said, okay, my last signing's at like 6 o'clock. You will be the last one show up at, yeah. you know, 555. Schedule it out because that's yeah. freaking insane. I mean, she said it went pretty quick, but that's how much stuff he signed. It was like. Big baller, man. What the heck? I'm so, I like John Con- I love Halloween. Everybody knows Halloween is mm-hmm. one of my favorites, but <gasps> speaking of, sorry to like but you just I saw one of the previews was for um the new one coming out in okay. October. It was kind of a horrible preview, I'm not going to lie. But I don't have great expectations for this. I, yeah. I, they're stretching these, mm-hmm. but um but we'll go because yes. that's what we do. Yep. Um but yeah, <sighs> Like, I don't know. Some of these stars, like, I get it. But I, her dad paid it. He got mm-hmm. the picture and autograph. But, and then they, he wouldn't sign whatever picture her dad brought. It had to be one that he had. And then it cost him an extra five bucks or something. I don't know what it was. How stupid. That's, like, so particular. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> but she said she loved Alicia. Um, she showed her the Alicia Silverstone costume that she wore that one oh, year for cute. Halloween. Yeah. And Lisa told her she looked adorable, and she made a yellow, black, and white bracelet to match the skirt, and uh, gave it to her, and she put it on, and told Charlotte she was super cute, and um, and then when she met Grace, Grace put the bracelet on, too, and um, she made one that was orange, yellow, and green for the cheerleading colors. That's awesome. And then uh, she went home, and she was scrolling through, like, pictures of, and people are posting all their pictures of Grace. Yeah. And Charlotte was stoked because she said, like, later you could see, and she still had the bracelet on. That's awesome. And other people's pictures. Yeah. So she said she was super nice, super sweet. That's awesome. I bet she kept it on, like, the rest of the time. But my daughter was just glowing after after meeting her. I'm like, I want to meet Dusty Buns. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I just want to pinch his I know. Have him sing to us. He's such a good singer. Oh my gosh. He's so so good. He is. So, uh, you know who else I'd like to meet? Can I take a gander? Hmm. Mr. Dak Shepard? Yes. And the clan over there at Armchair? (laughs) Hello, our Armchair Chairs hosts. What's up? What's up? I always see uh, them on instagram lately in their like rv and i'm always like are they near us are they in michigan <laughs> last i heard on his episode today which is probably a week prior, prior yeah um he was in missouri i okay. want to say so definitely they're like here. doing some mountain stuff and okay hanging cool. out and yeah his daughter came on the show for a minute she's like i just are you recording and Aww. he's like yes she's like oh I just came in here to change. I'll be right back. Okay, bye. <laughs> like, she's so cute. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, today we're going to go down a, another true crime roller coaster of a story, I'm assuming. I don't know. I'm hyping <laughs> it up for Crystal because she took the lead on this one. I am going to sit back and drink the 
Rocher collection of a peach mango. Crystal bought this one probably a few months ago and somehow it got pushed to the back or off to the side. I don't know what happened, but um, I popped it in the fridge this morning when I knew she was coming and got it crisp and clean and cold. And so I'm going to sip on my wine and Crystal is going to paint a pretty dark, pretty, pretty I was going to say pretty dark, yeah, picture for us. <laughs> Yes, um, so this story is about a woman named Dorothy Jane Scott. Um, she was a 32-year-old single, single mother from Stanton in Southern California. So Dorothy worked as a secretary at the Swingers Psych Shop and Custom John's Head Shop in Anaheim, around five miles away from her home in Stanton. The father of her four-year-old son, Sean, did not live locally. Um, he wasn't really fully in the picture, so it was her parents, Jacob and Vera, who helped Dorothy out with the care for her son, Sean, while she was at work. So um, they kind of just, you know, picked up the slack of where his dad couldn't really come in. Dorothy was... Um, a pretty straight edge kind of person. She didn't dabble in drugs or alcohol. She was someone who preferred to stay home or go to church. She lived with her aunt at the time and she was super close to her family. Um, she was a devout Christian and she just seemed to be someone who was like pursuing a very quiet, humble, religious type life. So she wasn't like out partying or like doing anything risky you know she just had kind of like a a super chill quiet life um sadly though all of that would change forever for her though so on may 28th 1980 she was heading home from an employee's meeting and dorothy noticed like a strange raised bite on one of her co-workers arms and so she was like concerned you know she's like that looks kind of intense kind of big um let me drive you to the hospital so she drove him to the u.s irvine medical center just to get it checked out being a good friend um their colleague pam also offered to go with them um so it was her pam and then her co-worker conrad um who was who had like the bite on his arm. So around 9 p.m. that night, Dorothy drove first to her parents' home to quickly check on her son, Sean, um, and just to let her parents know that she'd be late coming to get him because she was taking her friend to the hospital. So while she was there, she changed the black neck scarf that she was wearing to a warmer red one, um, you know, just checked on her son and then headed out really quickly. At the emergency room, the three were there and they discovered that Conrad had been bitten by the killer black widow spider um, and he was given a prescription for treatment and discharged at 11 p.m. So he was fine. They just, you know, were giving him medication and all that stuff, um, but he was going to be fine. So they were good to leave. But it took a few hours because, you know, hospitals, <laughs> waiting rooms so freaking long. Um, but everything seemed to be fine. So Pam and Conrad stayed to get Conrad's prescription. They were just like, you know, filling stuff out and then 
taking his prescription so that they could go. And Dorothy was like, oh, I'll go get my car and pick you up at the front door of the hospital. Um, and at that point, she was never seen again. So that was the last time anyone saw her. Yeah. That was my SUV. I like it. SUV? You mean SVU? SVU. SUV. I do it when I'm in my SUV. Got you, got you, yeah. The SUV zone. SVU. It adds the dramatic effect. So as Conrad and Pam were like walking out of the hospital, they were obviously standing at the front looking for Dorothy. And they saw Dorothy's white station wagon like flying towards them very fast in the parking lot. So they were waving their arms, you know, flagging her down, being like, oh, here we are, you know, for you to pick us up. Um, And they obviously, you know, thought it was Dorothy driving because obviously it was her car and she was going to get it. Um, But the headlights were so bright that they couldn't really see who was driving because it was dark out at this point. It was 11 p.m. And the car drove super fast past them and turned right sharply out of the parking lot and then disappeared from view. So, you know, they were kind of confused, like, what the heck? (laughs) Like, what are you doing, Dorothy? Like, you're supposed to be picking us up and you just, like, flew out of the parking lot. They thought, like, they, they don't know. They just assumed maybe Dorothy had, like, an emergency and with her son and, like, rushed off to go see him. Um... But much later, they hadn't heard from Dorothy for several hours, and the worried pair were forced to report her as missing. Um, So Pam and Conrad waited two hours for her to return, but when she didn't, they notified hospital security and her parents. Now, to me, this is, like, weird. Like, if you were, if that was you and you drove off, I would like, I mean, I get it was the 80s, so like there weren't really like cell phones, but like I would call to be like, is everything okay? Like, is what's going on? And also, they didn't have a ride, so it's like, what's happening? The fact that they waited two hours is kind of excessive to me to like call anybody. Like, they just sat there for two hours and waited. But again, I don't know, it was different times, so I don't really know the situation exactly. You know, but... All we can do is call our landline home phone, right? Yeah, like. But yes, there would be some eyebrows raised pretty quick. Right, like why did you wait so long to call anybody? So yeah, they called and her parents were obviously worried and the cops were involved at this point. Um, The following morning, Dorothy's car was found. It was abandoned and burnt out in an alleyway um, about 10 miles away from the hospital. Police began working on the theory that Dorothy had been kidnapped. So, you know, there's still obviously hope that she's alive out there somewhere and someone just grabbed her. Um, The first major lead police received was when it was reported that Dorothy had been receiving numerous phone calls at work in the weeks before that she vanished. She told a co-worker that the unidentified caller watched her every move she mentioned that it so it was a man and she mentioned that he described specific details of her life to her which led her to believe that the calls were like not prank ones they were like actually a stalker like who knew her every move and would like tell her in detail what her every move was um 
So yeah, she had been receiving these terrifying phone calls from this mystery caller, and Dorothy herself often remarked that the male voice on the other end of the line, it seemed familiar to her, but she never, like, could identify who exactly it was. Like, she just said the voice kind of sounded familiar, but she really had no idea who to, like, connect it to. So this is something that he said to her, um, and he would say things like this kind of often to her as long as, like, you know, I'm going to... I know you're here, I know you're going here next, I'm gonna be watching you when you're here, stuff like that. Um, This one thing that he said though, particularly he said, when I get you alone, I will cut you up into bits so no one will ever find you. Um, And this was the frequent caller and he would ring Dorothy almost every day. And so she got the police involved to take like extreme measure of like, you know, installing a voice recorder at the Scott's house, just anything to find this guy because he was saying this, like, terrifying stuff to her. Which I can't imagine, like, it's one thing when, if someone just keeps calling you, like, that's creepy enough, but then also to be like, I know this is where you're at, I know this is where you're going, I know this is what you do when you go here, and then to be like, when I get you alone, I'm gonna cut you up into pieces and nobody will find you. Like, I can't imagine how horrifying that must have been for her. Especially, imagine it these days. Right. With social media today, like... like, Snapchat will pretty much walk you to the front door of the people's house. It'll tell you, Mm -hmm. Crystal's at Great Lakes Crossing. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Like, it's so insane, like, how easily trackable people are today. I mean, so, back then, this guy was a full-on stalker like he dedicated his time to it because he knew like her routine and her schedule and like he was just like always like it seemed like he was always lurking around but she she had no idea who it was and she could never you know pin it to anybody um and even because of the calls Dorothy began considering you know purchasing a handgun at that point because she was just so terrified for her life you know she wanted a form of protection if somebody was going to try something with her The man always warned that he was watching her at all times, and one evening he demanded that Dorothy look outside, claiming to have left behind a gift for her. And he did, on the hood of her car, was a single dead rose, which is just so eerie. Like, very, very eerie is like the word I think of when I envision that. And Dorothy was like, of course, terrified. She had no idea. Um, In fact, to Dorothy's mother, her daughter, you know, who was typically a brave person, she was just so frightened by these persistent calls that she also took up karate as self-defense and just anything, she was just getting prepared because she felt very threatened by this guy. Um, And to this day, the caller remains a mystery um obviously if we knew who was calling dorothy it it would be a very easy connection to like the crime or it would be like an easier connection to figure out the crime um but sadly today the caller and where dorothy is uh, or how she died i guess remain at large so the horror of her disappearance didn't end the day that she vanished Almost every Wednesday for four years, 
the phone rang at her parents' house with the voice of the same unidentified man who harassed her prior. The calls usually came when her mother was home alone, which is horrible. And he would either ask for Dorothy, he'd be like, is Dorothy there? Or he would state that he killed her and she, or she had been held captive, all this stuff. Like he would just say these horrible things weekly for four years to his mother. Um, and none of the calls could be traced. You know, they obviously tried to catch this guy um, because the caller wouldn't stay on the line long enough for them to be able to track him. So he obviously knew what he was doing. In June of 1980, a man called the Orange County Register, a local newspaper that had been published uh, the story on the disappearance and claimed that he had killed Dorothy Scott. Um, police believe the caller was Scott's killer. Uh, I guess just the way that he was talking about the situation and how he killed her and all this stuff, they really believed that it was this guy. Um, but again, you know, it's not like he gave them his name or anything. So they weren't able to track down who this guy was. So Dorothy's skeletal remains were soon found along Santa Ana Canyon Road in Anaheim Hills. Um, and then her car was found in the alley in Santa Ana. So not super far apart, but they definitely weren't in the same place. Um, so this happened on August 6, 1984. A construction worker discovered dog and human bones side by side about 30 feet from Santa Ana, Santa Ana Canyon Road. The bones were partially charred and authorities believed that they had been there for two years as a bushfire had swept across the site in 1982. Um, a turquoise ring and watch were also found in the same location and Dorothy's mother said that the watch had stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29th, which was about an hour after um, her friends last saw her vehicle at the hospital. So... That's rough. Yeah, super weird. Um, so on August 14th, the bones were ultimately identified as Dorothy Scott's by using dental records. Um, and the autopsy couldn't determine the cause of death just because... It was just, it had been so long and like the bones were, it was really just bones. Um, and they did have a memorial service held on August 22nd of that same year. Um, but yeah, he put dog bones with her bones to like cover up the scent for, um, I guess like when canines would go like searching like from her scent, I guess that would like throw them off and they wouldn't find her remains. So this guy had like a very thought out plan about what he was doing. And the, the watch being stopped freaks me out too. It's like, is that like the moment she died, he stopped her watch? Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. so creepy. Because it's like only being an hour after she left or they left the hospital, it's like you have to wonder like if that's the moment she died at 1230. How angry was he that he killed her that quick after apprehending her? Right, like, like how, like he had been waiting for it, like this guy had been like planning it, you know, had this whole thing with calling her and telling her like what he was going to do and all this stuff and it's just like, it's so creepy. So this obviously happened in the 80s um, and you know, there, at that point there was far less awareness of stalking and like the danger that 
all of that behavior posed um, and like how it can escalate and sometimes build up to murder. Um, and, you know, stalking, I feel like, especially back then, but even so, sometimes now it's not taken as seriously as it should be because it's scary, like, people out there, like, following people's every move. So I think that, uh, I, I don't know, like, I feel like they could have done more when she reported all these calls happening. So Dorothy's stalker was not known to be you know, an ex-partner of hers or an individual that she had been in, like, any type of relationship with. This man, however, was able to watch her, follow her, and note her movements, her clothes, her location, all without seemingly raising suspicions by those around him or being spotted by Dorothy himself. So he was, like, he was, like, a pro stalker because nobody saw him, nobody figured it out, even her when she was, like, looking around while she was on the phone. Um, his phone calls suggest that he had an obsession with Dorothy. He was in love with her, and, like, obviously obsession and fixation are usually the key main reasons people start stalking people um, and just how dangerous they are. Um, a little bit of an update. So this comes from Crime Blogger 1983. She had gotten in contact with Sean Scott, who was Dorothy's son, and he kind of added some interesting things to the investigation of his mother's cold case. Um, she says, first off, I was able to obtain a few pictures of Dorothy that he had sent me because there were like only grainy newspaper pictures of her that people had seen a thousand times. Um, apparently there was a suspect that Sean became aware of through several of Dorothy's friends who lived in Missouri. The suspect's name was Mike Butler. Apparently, Butler was this unstable individual who lived in the Santiago Mountains, and he was involved in cult-like activity. Um, she says that makes her think that the dead dog that was discovered with Dorothy's remains kind of makes more sense with like the cult-type uh, cult behavior that this guy had. Um, apparently, he was obsessed with Dorothy, um, his sister worked with Dorothy at the Swingers psych shop, which kind of would make sense as to how he knew Dorothy's schedule so much, you know, if he, like, got it from his sister who also worked there, it kind of, like, would make sense how he would be so aware of her schedule. Um, Sean says that he tried on numerous occasions to speak with Mike Butler's sister, um, but she has, like, avoided it and won't talk to him. Um... And L.E. was aware of Butler at the time, but they never had enough evidence to consider him a suspect or a person of interest. Um, and an interesting aspect of this is she says when she was giving Sean the breakdown of what she knew about his mother's case, he was never told the names of Pam or Conrad. Like, he knew of the story, but, like, he never knew, like, little details like that about the story. Um... And she says another thing that doesn't make sense is the part about them knowing Dorothy's parents' phone number. Apparently after Dorothy's father sold Swinger's shop to uh, John Coyla and John would use Jacob as sort of like a handyman to fix things around the shop. And so his number was like well known to all of the employees. So those two, Pam and Conrad, had 
Dorothy's father's phone number. Um, so it was just kind of weird that they had the phone number, but again, they waited so long to call up with any information, like, or to call and be like, what's going on with Dorothy? She's been gone for, even if they waited 30 minutes, like, they did not call for two hours. Kind of a personal update for Sean. They discussed um, if he remembers a lot about his mother. Unfortunately, he does not. He was only four at the time. But from what he understands, she was very loving and caring. Um, she says he told me she made her own clothes out of old curtains to make sure she could buy him what he needed. And after that, she was murdered. Um, Dor Dorothy's circle of friends offered to adopt Sean. But his grandfather, Jacob, wouldn't have it. Um, apparently, Jacob Scott had a major positive impact on Sean's life. And he sadly passed away on Dorothy's birthday in 1994. Um, they all, his family all says that, you know, he died of grief. So that's really sad that he, you know, died on her birthday. Um, now this has been speculated. This whole case could also be connected, a lot of people think, to the disappearance of a woman named Patricia Jean Schneider. Um, whose car was also found burned. A lot of people think that these cases are connected. Um, so just kind of to like go into hers a little bit. Um, she was a 25 year old cocktail waitress at Palomino Station in Indiana Hills, California. And it was early on the morning of July 31st, 1982. So around the same time, she completed her shift at work um, at 3.45 a.m. She made a call from a Circle K in Pedley and said that her car had broken down. Um, after she made that call, she was never seen or heard from again. And between 5 and 6 a.m. that same morning, a sheriff's deputy found her Toyota Celia on fire in a field near the intersection of Van Buren Boulevard and Doolittle Avenue. Um, and the fire had clearly been deliberately set and Patricia still to this day has never been found. Um, a lot of people really believe that the disappearance is related to the abduction and murder of Dorothy Scott. There's no known suspects. The Circle K clerk who was there, he's, the only thing he says is he noticed two sandy-haired Caucasian males in the parking lot around that time, but like he didn't see them really interacting or anything, so they could have just been like at the gas station. So yeah, the last time Patricia was seen, she was 25, had blonde hair, blue eyes, was 5'4", and weighed approximately 115 pounds. Um, she went by the nickname Patty, and she may have also gone by the last name Underhill. Um, so she is still currently a missing person. I don't really know why people are so set in believing these two are like related. The only thing is like, you know, two women going missing and then they're cars being set on fire so I get that and it's kind of in the same area but I, I wouldn't like bank everything on it being the same person you know at least to like our knowledge we don't Patricia wasn't like getting these types of calls that Dorothy was getting or anything like that so um yeah I mean maybe they're related I have no idea but but people strongly believe that they are so I just thought I would throw that in there in case you know anyone's listening and if you have any ideas, I guess, but it's been so long too that kind of just makes it harder.
But yeah, that is the case of uh, Dorothy Scott. And it just makes me so sad when things are unsolved. You know, like the killer's still out there. This guy got away with it. And I mean, I hope they catch him, but it's hard, like as more time passes and we've seen, it's like so much harder for them to like catch these guys. Well, hopefully maybe somebody today will hear the story and that'll be the one that jogs memory. Right? Yeah. That would be amazing. That would definitely be amazing. Um, or even like finding something out to lead to figuring out what happened to Patricia, you know, whether she's still alive or if she died or what, what happened with that. But um, yeah, sad unsolved stories <laughs> make my heart hurt. They do. Especially when they have kids, too. Like, he was only four, and so he doesn't really remember his mom at all. And then his grandpa, who he said had such a positive impact on his life, died on her birthday. Like, oh, just hurts my heart. At least now he'll get to see her. Yes, they're together. Together again. Um, but I didn't want people to go on a sad note. A sad note, note. Mm-hmm. So I found um, a stupid story. Classless Lear Criminals? Yes. Hell yeah. We haven't done a, that. It's been a minute since we've done It's been a second, one. yeah, because yeah. our stories have been a little bit... Longer. Yeah, or we just talk too damn much in yeah. the beginning. <laughs> Probably. Figure some shit out. <laughs> Talking about hills and, you know, all that stuff. Miles Whale. Miles Whale. <laughs> um, so, this is in Vancouver, and so the Clark County Sheriff Office, they responded to a burglar... Um, and the gentleman had reportedly took a cell phone, a TV remote, and a beer from the fridge um, prior to calling the authorities. Um, while the suspected burglar was the one who called the authorities because he managed to eventually get himself out, but he locked himself in an escape room. Shut the hell up. That's amazing. <laughs> oh my god. Why would he go in there? What a dumbass. Yeah. Why would he even go into an escape room? It was one at a strip mall, and apparently, like, and not to mention, you're going to jail, bro, over a beer and a cell phone and a TV remote. You didn't take the TV. Just remote control. Yeah, wait, what? And, like, aren't remotes, like, connected specifically to, like, This the one could have been a universal one, oh, though. I mean... I mean, big money. Ticket. Ticket item. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. I don't know why, but that reminded me of... There was a story um, kind of near where I live um, a few years back. A guy broke into this family's home and they didn't discover him till like i think a couple hours later but he was so drunk and he was laying on their couch and i think he had like taken food and stuff like that too from their fridge drink whatever and they called the cops and like he was so out of it but then he legit thought he was at his house like so he broke into this house and in his mind he was so effed up that like he thought that he was, like, locked out of his own house, so he broke in and then, like, grabbed food and then laid on the couch <laughs> because he thought he was at their house or at his house, but he was at some random person's house. Oh, my God. I can't... 
imagine being that drunk to not know like I'm not in my own living room. Right. And then like to rem- to like have an explanation. It's like so you didn't black out, right? Because if he thinks unless he was just so almost at that point where he's like, "Oh, I was just so disoriented. I thought it was my house." I don't know. Clearly he was having a night. But I I don't think that uh the family press any charges against him they're yeah, probably but. like this is gonna be a cool story bro so <laughs> right <laughs> i mean the only thing you took was you know the leftover christmas roast beast so yeah <laughs> we're gonna let it go yeah exactly they forgave him since he was just sleeping on the couch <laughs> oh, my God. oh but it just i don't know it just reminded me of that for some reason we love our we love our dumb criminal stories we do really just the cherry uh cherry on top of the episodes <laughs> they tickle our fancy oh for sure 100 percent. i'll try to be more on top of getting them back on we we have had longer episodes though recently so and this one fit in perfect because this was definitely a, a shorter episode um also guys this is the final week to get your tickets in raffle tickets get them in Last scratches. Last chance. Yeah. <laughs> Again, go to horrorwineandcrime.com and hit the donate button. One dollar. One dollar. That's it. Um, I mean, you could do more if you're wanting more tickets for a bigger chance to win. But sleepaway camp giveaway. Mm-hmm. And a summer raffle because now we're gonna be doing some fall shit. Right. Crystal's gonna be drinking her pumpkin spice. I'm so excited. <laughs> Well, I love the smell of it. I don't know if I'm huge on the taste of it for some of it. Really? But I do love my whole house will smell like it. Like I don't like the like the food flavored. You know, they, they make all the like Oreos, Pop Tarts, cereal, like they make all the foods like pumpkin spice flavored. They go a little crazy with it. And I'm not a big fan of like that kind of stuff, but I do usually like like the coffee because it's not fall anymore it's pumpkin spice season i know honestly it's taken over it's so true (laughs) but i am excited for fall i love when the leaves change i feel like this view that i'm looking at you guys can't see but right here that's gonna be gorgeous in the fall (laughs) i'm gonna have a beautiful view (laughs) and i'm pumped (laughs) Uh, she's gonna be moving into the office right exactly I'm going to be like that guy. I'm going to break in. <laughs> You're going to find me sleeping on the ground in here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, all right, guys. That does it for this week's episode. Next week, Lowe's got a cool story to take us on. Absolutely. That one's uh, another doozy. Yeah. But I'm not going to give anything away. I'm excited. Um, we're going to take our wine, and we're going to go downstairs, and we're going to play Bullshit card game with the kids and the husband they're waiting heck yeah i'm excited i haven't played i know i've played this before but it's literally been years well i just taught the kids and they're obsessed so awesome. probably because they can say bullshit right oh, yeah. charlotte still won't she's like bullcrap <laughs> bs <laughs> all right guys well you know what to do stay creepy we got to go bye bye